If you have your Bibles uh, in Colossians chapter 2, I heard James last week. I was listening to it on my way up. I spoke at Hume Lake last week uh, to a little middle school camp, um, and I was listening to it, and he was, he was excited that we made it finally to chapter 2. And then he said that at this pace, we should be done by 2030 with the book of Colossians. And I laughed a little bit, and I thought, how dare you? How dare you think they were going to be done that quick? So, because <laughs> uh, today we're looking at one verse, <laughs> just one verse. Verse eight is what we're looking at. Um, and I was, as I was reading, I'm, let me just read it. And then I'll, I'll throw out the question or the, the, the information that I found about it. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So be careful. I looked it up. You know how many advertisements you get hit with, we get hit with per day? If you're to throw out a guess, see, see if it fits. Just pick your number and then tell me whether or not you were anywhere close. That the number that I found more than one, in more than one website was this, between six and 10,000 per day. And I thought, that's got to be kind of high, unless you realize and remember how often we're on these things and how many notifications come in and what we're looking up. And then when you look up that thing, then there's advertisements on that thing you looked up. And then that thing makes you jump to something else you had no clue that you were even interested in. Like you're looking up to where to find new furniture and all of a sudden there's an advertisement for the zoo so you can see a koala bear. You're like, oh, I gotta check that out. And we're just constantly going through this. And I guess now I wanna ask, what's the filter? Like, do we just take it all in? Like this is, this is it. Like I need to know every single thing and every single thing is true and right. This, like I said, this past week I was up at Hume speaking to middle schoolers and the theme was truth. He said, oh, well, if you're going to teach from the Bible. Yeah, and we were teaching from the Bible. We, believe it or not, I had to preach the whole book of John in six messages. And I felt so out of place. I was like, this should be a 16-year study. This is, not, this is not a six-message thing. But it was the truth about God and the truth about Scripture and the truth about Jesus and his life and the truth about sin and the truth about his, his death and burial and resurrection and then the truth of life that we're called to, because think about it. We look and live, we live in this world that when we look around, it just seems like everyone can do whatever they want and things unravel. We think that freedom is actually anything I want to do and yet I believe what the scriptures teach is this, freedom is obedience to God and experiencing the blessings that come when God sets up margins where we can play within those margins, but not live in this idea, what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. That's relative, that's subjective truth. Now, if you're here today, you're watching online, or you're listening later on, and you really believe, well, that's, I believe in subjective truth. I believe subjective truth is the truth. But even when you make that statement, you just proved to me and to us that you actually believe in objective truth. For you to make the statement, there's no such thing as objective truth, there's subjective truth. What's true for you and true for me is, is fine. They both can be the same. You're making an absolute truth statement. Because if we honestly live out relativity, just the subjective truth, I, that means I can do whatever I want to do. You can therefore not be offended by anything that I do because it's my truth. And I can't be offended by anything that you do because it's your truth. 
And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you can do whatever you want so long as you don't hurt somebody else, but that's your truth. That's not my truth. What if that's not my truth? And part of my truth is I can take advantage of anyone that I want to so long as I get mine and I get everything that I've ever wanted. Do you see how society cannot live that way and yet we actually think that it does? And so to deal with this topic the whole time with a bunch of middle schoolers, man, they engaged. They did a great job. But as I was there and I was thinking about the message when it come to come back and preach here, so what does it look like? So picture a river. See, a river that has its banks and the, when the water doesn't go outside the banks, it's, it's healthy. Instead of it just running wherever it wants, when it's, when it's all set up, when, maybe in California is not the place to talk about rivers, but when we do have rivers, when we have any kind of water, when the rivers run, in Montana, they've got them. I know, quiet. Okay, so we, <laughs> there's rivers, they stay in the banks, that's healthy. When they go out, that's destructive. Guys, when we live this way, life is like a river. I'm not gonna become a hippie, but if life is like a river, let's say this, if truth is the river, once it goes outside the banks and floods, it's destructive. And I'm convinced that as I'm looking and I'm reading up on things and looking at culture, it's unraveling and things are being destroyed. And what's the response of the church? See, why I think it hasn't just gone completely haywire and out of control nuts? Two things. One, God's common grace, where God gives grace to everyone, and yet there's some type of specific grace that God gives to us, to us, his followers. But his common grace is for all of us. It's for the world. That Jesus is the one who holds all things together. But I think the second is this, his church. Friends, we are his representatives on this planet. It doesn't mean we stand against people. We continue to live according to truth. We want to live according to what kind of truth, and hopefully we'll see it here when we look in this passage. But there has to be truth outside of ourselves because if it's just based upon my opinion, then it's all personal, it's all relative. You can't say anything, I can't say anything. We don't stand for anything. We just keep walking, hoping we're all going in the same direction all the while. We're flooding. There's nothing positive coming. So church, it's our job to continue to be holders of truth and dispensers of grace, to show the difference that Jesus makes and the commandments that we follow actually bring about blessing because God actually wants us to experience those things. He wants us to experience blessing while we live. In our Bible reading plan, a few verses that stood out from this last week. In 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, it says this, And this occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel, and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. Verse 15, they despised his statutes. The people of Israel despised God's statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols and became false and they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not do like them. Verse 19, Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs that Israel had introduced. Verse 33, so they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods 
after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. Do you see the phrase that's kind of repeated through all, just, I mean, four different times in one chapter. It's like, here's the people of Israel. Israel been chosen by God, set aside for his purpose in, 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 in close relationship with him. He's given the commandments. He's in covenant relationship with him. And then they just veer off and do their own thing. But their own thing is based upon what they see everyone else doing. And friends, there's this thing I think that's happening in the church, at least in the West. We're trying to change, we're trying to change biblical truth to make it fit our customs so we feel a little bit better, so we can live, we can live actually how we want to and think that God's behind us, which really is idolatry because we're elevating ourselves to be God and God can be our barista and do what it is that we want him to do. I see it over and over. And then don't you kind of feel it? It's that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like sometimes you just kind of want to jump in and we want to respond and retaliate the same way that people are toward us. Or it's like we just want to fight the same way. Or Guys, what happened to us just having, hey, I have these convictions based upon the Bible. And we may say, well, Brian, do you know how people look at Christians? I do. And honestly, some of that judgment is legit. As we stood in judgment against people, rather than bringing the grace and the message of the gospel, if I really believe that the Bible says that my battle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, but it's against the spiritual forces of this dark world, then my response to every single person, no matter if they hate me or love me, where they want to retaliate and throw junk at me, or they just say, hey, I want to take you to lunch because we're going to be friends, it should always be the same way that Jesus responded and reacted to people when he was here. He loved them, but he never let them stay wherever you want to be. He's like, hey, I love you. I'm not, I'm not going to condemn you, so now follow me. Or leave your sin and come after me. It's both. But it's bringing this message that God wants to reconcile you to himself. And that's what the world needs. It just doesn't know it yet. And does it get exhausting? Yes. I mean, how many people, if you're here and you're not a believer, I'm hoping, I'm praying that you're not here and it's like, oh my gosh, he's just trying to make a cult. Did you see how often they got up and stood and prayed and touched each other? Like, what the heck is this place? This is some freaky place. I'm out here, next time they're gonna wear like all the same shoes and drink Kool-Aid out, out in the entryway. Like, that's gonna be weird. Guys, I don't, I don't wanna make a cult. I just know the difference that Jesus has made in my life. The difference that Jesus made in this world. And the thing is, I can't convince anyone to come to Christ. I can't. No matter how long I talk to a person, no longer how long I preach, and maybe somebody's going to go, then go short and see what happens. Okay, maybe I will. I can't convince anyone. All I can do is convey the message and trust that God will do his thing. It's his job to save but what I'm hoping to do this morning is to remind those of us who are followers of Jesus, let's be people of the book. Let's be people who are biblical in our worldview, 
not just reactive or saying, hey, how I think, that's exactly how God thinks. Friends, if you can't remember the last time the Bible disagreed with you, there's an issue. Like if you can't remember the last time he said, I was like, I don't agree with that. Are you reading the whole thing or just the same verses that you really like? Because there's times I read and go, I don't like this part. There might even be times where, God, I disagree with you on this part, but I'm not God, you are. And to submit because I trust him, I know he's great and good. Because that's why I'm convinced we need to have a Bible reading plan that we're all reading the scriptures together. And when we're done in December with this one, we're going to start it again. And we're going to keep doing it because I want us to be a people who are after the book because we're after Jesus. But friends, I don't want all, stuff, all this stuff I've said so far and the statistics of 6,000 to 10,000 advertisements. Oh my gosh, there's just so much stuff. I'm just going to become a hermit. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to see anything. I'm not going to look at anything. I'm just going to write on a piece of paper and turn the lights off. I'm not going to do anything. But I want to remind us, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We don't move forward in this life in fear. We move forward in love and power. The power of the Trinity, the power of God, that, that same God who spoke everything into existence, this is the same God that resides in us as followers of Jesus by his Holy Spirit, and we have his power at our disposal to do anything and everything that he wants us to do. But I also don't want to be people who just do things for God. I want us to do things with him because we love him. We love God more than anything, and, so, and then we love people, and we just make disciples to just keep it simple. So back to, the, back to the verse, actually, verse eight of Colossians two. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That phrase, see to it, that's constantly. It's not like just one time and you're good. No, so followers of Jesus, see to it now. And then tomorrow, again, and all the six to 10,000 times that advertisements are brought up to us, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and then empty deceit. The word captive there, it's actually, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, and it's actually the word for kidnap. Don't allow anyone to like, take you by force and take you where you don't want to go. He's like, don't allow anyone to do that with philosophy. He's like, ah, oh. so philosophy is evil. Who took, for those who went to college, who took philosophy in college? How'd you feel? The word of the heart, and some of you guys have that philosophical mind. My phil I don't know what I was thinking when I picked this class. I picked it Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 in the morning. Thank you. No one said that when I turned in. The advisor didn't look at that. Ah, oh, you might want to rethink this. 7.30 philosophy, I'm pretty, much, I'm pretty sure that in the Greek that means hell. Like, it's just not right. And so I remember going in and the guy's pretty passionate about it. And I'm sitting there going, I don't even know my name right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm supposed to think deeply. Guys, there's nothing unbiblical about philosophy unless it's not pointing to Jesus. We can think deeply. For those that love it, who are, who are the deep thinkers in the place? You love it. It's like, give me a philosophy book. I, want, I just want my mind to just take off on this vacation of, de of depth. God bless you, Alyssa. You're the only hand that went up. <laughs> you might be talking to yourself. Okay, but guys, there's nothing wrong because here's, here's the beauty of it. When Jesus said, hey, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So we can, we can think deeply about God 
But you notice that next phrase that he used, an empty deceit. Guys, when things are told to us that lead to nothing productive, there's nothing of benefit. How much of our lives are wasted on that? How do I say this? Friends, my heart has been breaking and and it's breaking for a couple of people. Those of you who are affected by this, whether because you know of somebody struggling with it or you struggle with it. But when it comes to sexual identity or gender identity, my heart breaks because I believe that a narrative, a false narrative is being proclaimed to a world that leading people down these paths that does not lead to anything helpful or beneficial. And I just sit and I go, but God has this plan for you. And this isn't a statement of judgment that if you know somebody struggling with it, we the church want to love them and help them toward truth. And if you personally deal with it, we want to help you move toward truth. And I believe it comes from this, that in the beginning that God made male and female in his image, he created them. That my identity should be not I'm man. No, my identity, I'm an image bearer of God. He created me man, but I bear his image. And when I can find my identity connected to this sovereign controller God of the universe. And remember that it's this bank, this river. There's, there's supposed to be banks. Then I can thrive in the life that he's called me to live and not just accept these thoughts or ideas that move us away from anything that's solid and foundational. My heart breaks. And friends, we shouldn't change our doctrines or our theology, we should hold on to them even tighter and move people toward this. But you know what we start with? The gospel. Friends, I think it's time for us to stop standing against every moral thing and we start with the gospel. We want people to come to Christ and let the Holy Spirit do his job and change and transform. And, and of course, we walk with people through their stuff, but never void of presenting Jesus to them. If I see somebody in need and they, and they say they're hungry and I give them something to eat, that is, that's something that Jesus really applauds. He loves it. But if I don't continue on, and I don't somehow bring Jesus up into that. And that person doesn't know Christ. May I, maybe I fed them for a time, but what happens for eternity? So guys, it, I, get, I get the world is real. I get there's real struggles and junk going on. I get that. But I, that just makes me even more convinced. Why do we need a truth outside of ourselves? Because I just don't think we, can be, we can't be really trusted with defining it for ourselves. I think, it's a, I think it's empty deceit. According to human traditions and human logic, it's just, this is how it's supposed to work because I just see people around me doing it. But it doesn't mean it's always beneficial. And then when it makes this statement, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ, what's that? 
Well, I've, I've found commentators saying two different things, or at least saying like it could be one or the other. The first is like the ABCs of life, just the elemental traditional thoughts, the basic ideas that run a culture or run a society. But it also could refer to the spiritual things of this world. I know that for many, this is going to sound like, oh, he's one of those preachers. Maybe. Do you realize that in the Old Testament, God says, I cannot stand. I don't like, I stand against its sin to speak to those mediums who speak on behalf of the dead to you. Tarot cards and palm readers and astrology. It's like, oh, what about a horoscope? Has it ever really been right anyways? Like, be honest, if you've ever just read it going, that could work. It could work for anyone. And yet God would sit there and go, wait, you're trying, to, you're trying to read the stars to get the future rather than coming to the God who put the stars in play. Don't those sound like elemental teachings? Like the things that the, I mean, think about it. The enemy wants to get our attention off of Jesus and onto anything and everything else. Here's the danger if he doesn't do that. If he, gets, if he doesn't get our attention off of Jesus and onto other things, the church will focus on Jesus. Jesus will reveal more of who he is. Then all of a sudden, as he reveals more of who he is, man, Jesus, you're worth it. Man, the church might actually start to wake up and impact neighborhoods and cities and states and nations and the world as the gospel would go out because we're so enamored with Jesus and not just some traditions. Ever notice how much harder you'll go and how much harder you'll love a person rather than just an idea? I want us in the book not to just get ideas. I want us in the book because I want him to reveal more of Jesus. And we spend time in the word to spend time with Jesus, to read about him and to hear from him and then have him convict us and then we write prayers back. And like, I want all of us in that. I want every person who's part of this church to be part of a home church. I want every person who's part of this church to be in a D group. I want us to be so into the word. Why? So we just know a lot of stuff? No, because I know that when we do that and we spend time with him, he changes us. It's actually us having to trust that the Holy Spirit still does what he does that he's always done. Because at the end he says this, according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. Here's the heartbeat behind it all. He wants us to have a biblical worldview that's based on Jesus. Like think about it, why should you be generous to people in need? Why should we? Because it's the nice thing to do. But if we're followers of Jesus, you know why we're generous? Because we worship a God who's generous, right? Why should we help those who are oppressed? I mean, we have a a belief system, it's an evolutionary belief system that survival of the fittest, the fittest will survive and those who won't, won't. And yet somehow that just doesn't make sense to us, right? We said, that's not how it's supposed to be. Guys, you realize if you take God out of the equation as to why we should help people, there's really no reason to help people. 
But again, we come back. They're image bearers of God. They're made in the image of God. And then therefore, because they have intrinsic value, because they have a creator, we will help any and every single person that we can help because of Jesus. And we're made in his image. And they are too. Do you see how it all plays together? Because it's according to Christ. It's scripture. I got this email from uh, Compassion this past week. Um, and we've been, we've been sponsoring a couple kids ever since we were married from there. And we've done World Vision now as a church community. But it's just this quick little excerpt about this young lady named Tivani from Indonesia. And for five years, she prayed for this one specific thing. For five years, she prayed. You know what she prayed for? An 11-year-old. She prayed for her own Bible. That's all she prayed for. She said, God, would you give me a Bible? I want my own Bible. I want my own Bible. And five years, she kept praying. And then all of a sudden, it happened. And you, now you know what she does? After she has that Bible, and then she says, I wish I, I wish I would have gotten the picture to show it to you. She's holding it. It's like right next to her face. She has this massive smile on her face. And you know what she does now? She prays for everything. Why? Because she saw God come through. And it took five years. That means, think about it. When did she start praying? This is an easy, this is a softball pitch math question, friends. Y'all got this. She's 11 now, five ago. She was, there you go, safe. That's what I heard it over there. Six. At the age of six, she says, God, can I have my own Bible? And for five years, she prayed. And God, five years later, gave it to her. And now she prays all the time about anything and everything. I listened to a pastor, and I think, I don't remember the name of the church, but I think he's, he's, uh, he's been called to Hawaii. That's awesome. That's a great calling. But he held this, uh, his name is Warren Cordero. It might be Hope Chapel, maybe. I think if I just remember, about 10, I think it was about 10 years ago when I was watching this YouTube. I, I saw it when he was speaking 10 years ago. And he said he was in China for three days of teaching the Bible. 22 Christian leaders of China were on their way. They're on a train. It's a 13-hour train ride to show up to this 700-square-foot apartment where he was, wood floors, no chairs, no air conditioning. They were going to spend three days with him as he spoke the Bible, as he just taught the Bible. And so when they all showed up, they actually had to go two by two, take the elevator at different times because it would be considered illegal to have this gathering. And so they snuck their way into the apartment and from eight in the morning until five in the, in the evening, they sat on the floor and listened to a guy teach. He goes, I had to teach from eight to five, nonstop. A couple breaks here and there, but just keep teaching the Bible. These are Christian leaders in China. So before he starts, he says, I just have a question. What would happen if we got caught right now? And they said, well, you would be deported in 24 hours and we would go to prison for three years. And so he said, well, how many have you been to prison? Out of the 22, out of the 22 people, 18 hands went up. 18, 18 people had gone to prison simply because they loved Jesus. And here they were sitting on the floor to hear some guy from the States talk to them about Jesus from the Bible. He then asked him, hey, so how many people are you responsible for? Like, how many Christians are you guys responsible for? They're like, oh, we don't know. So they did the math. They started figuring it out. 22 pastors 
had some type of responsibility over 20 million people through the underground church. I just sat there and I went, I'd have a hard time texting all those people. Like I text 300 and something on a regular basis. Can you imagine 20 million? You'll hear from me once, maybe. 20 million, guys, the, the church in China is moving and growing, but these 22 people were so, were so blown away and so excited to just learn the Bible more. So he has, he has 15 Bibles and he hands them out and he says, now turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Right when he says that, a woman had her Bible, the, the Bible that was lent to her, and he, she closes it, hands it away, hands it to somebody else. And so at break, he looks and says, why did you hand off your Bible? I noticed that. Is everything okay? She goes, oh, no, it's okay. I already memorized it. Wait, wait, you memorized the chapter? Where did you memorize it? Prison? Oh. Well, how did you get it? Well, people, you can't have a Bible in the prisons. And so they would write it on pieces of paper and smuggle it in. And then they hand it to me. And, and then you know if they catch it, I can't have it. So I got to memorize it as quick as I can. And then they take it, but they can't take it from me. So then at the end of the weekend, he said, how can I be praying for you all? He was so humbled by this. And I was humbled listening to it. How can I pray for you all? And he said, oh, we've heard that you all in the United States of America, you have places that you can go and worship whenever you want. Can you pray that we would become more like you? Like we would get to do that? And this was his response. He goes, no, I won't pray for that. And when he said that, I thought, what a jerk. I'm glad it didn't end there. Can you imagine? No, fade to black. He says, at home, think about it. You guys traveled for 13 hours by train to hear the word of God. And if people have to travel longer than an hour, they won't come back. You guys sat on the floor for eight, nine hours a day, for three days, just to hear the word. And if people, people aren't comfortable in their seats and don't have coffee, they won't come back. You guys sat for nine, 10 hours. We have people that if it goes longer than an hour, they won't come back. So he said this, he says, I will not pray that you'd become like us. I'm gonna pray that we become like you. I just, I just watched it again a few days ago because I used it in the message when I was up there and I thought, God, please let us become like this. Not followers of Jesus who've given you a little bit of room in our lives, but rather followers of Jesus where you are our life. And this isn't duty. Spending time in the word isn't praying, isn't duty. It's just, this is what you do in relationship with God. And the mission you've given us, it should be consuming because we know why you came. So God, would, you, would it impact us the same that we would go out the same way? So I read this of what's going on in China. Then I read this, I read, I read this this morning. George Barna, uh, he's a professor at Arizona Christian University. He also has this, it's called the Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Center. So he's, he's all about statistics. He's one of those guys. But in this recent study, it says the study found while 67% of American parents with preteens identify as Christian, 
67% of American parents say that they're Christians. I'm not quite sure that's, <laughs> that's true, but 67% believe or say that. Only 2% possess a biblical worldview. 2%. And you will come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I know that for some you sit there and go, it's like a straw man's argument, Brian. Like You say the Bible's true because it says that it's true. But guys, let's think about it. Let's just look at some of the evidence. This is a book that's written, written over 1,500 years. 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, and it doesn't conflict with any part. Not one part conflicts with another. Even on tough moral decisions or tough moral obligations or stances or beliefs, it doesn't contradict. Think about it. I just walked down to downtown Claremont and brought up the topic of abortion. I asked 100 people the same day, same place. Do you think all 100 would agree? Absolutely not. If I just picked 40, would all 40 agree? Absolutely not. If I picked any major city in the United States of America, same question, 40 people. Would all 40 agree? Absolutely not. Yet you have a book, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, 1,500 years span, and it all comes together. Archaeologically. Guys, archaeologists use it as a roadmap to find stuff. And nothing has ever been, nothing has ever been found that's disproven it. Has everything been found in the Bible? Absolutely not. Why? Because God likes hide and seek. He's the first one to start this whole Easter egg, Easter egg hunt. He's like, oh my gosh, this is going to be thousands of years worth of stuff. Go! The historicity of the book is unparalleled. It stands up against every literary critic ever. There's more, there's more original manuscripts of the scriptures than any other book in all of human history. And then you get to prophecies. The Bible talking about things that are yet to come. We just take the prophecies of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Most scholars usually agree somewhere around a little over 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament talking about Jesus. It's about 27% of all the Old Testament are verses about the coming of Jesus. Because that's, that's incredible. So let's just go through some of them that Jesus actually fulfilled. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. Great persons would come to adore him. There would be the killing of children in Bethlehem. He would be called out of, out of Egypt. He would be preceded by a forerunner. He would be a prophet like Moses. He'd be entering into his public ministry in Galilee. He would live in poverty and meekness, tenderness and compassion. He would be full of zeal, preaching with parables, working miracles. He would triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. He would be rejected by his own Jewish brethren. Jews and Gentiles would combine against him. He would be betrayed by a friend. He'd be accused by false witnesses. He'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver. His betrayer would, would kill himself. His disciples would desert him, would die under suffering, but would be silent. His appearance would be marred. He would be spit upon. He'd be scourged. His hands and his feet would be nailed to the cross hundreds of years before crucifixion was even a reality. He'd be forsaken by God. He would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He'd be mocked. His friends would stand far off. Gall and vinegar would be offered to him while on the cross. His garments would be parted and 
and gambled for. He would be numbered among the transgressors. He would intercede for his murderers. Not one bone in his body would be broken. He'd be pierced long before crucifixion started. His heart would be broken. His side would be pierced. Darkness would cover the land. He'd be buried in a rich man's tomb. His flesh would not see corruption. He'd be raised from the dead. He would ascend back to the right hand of the Father. All of this hundreds of years before Jesus ever even showed up. That's not even 300. Awesome. Friends, the probability, a mathematician, a math prof, took his class to say, let's figure out the probability of one man fulfilling just eight of the 300 plus messianic prophecies. They came up with this number, the probability that one man could fulfill all 300. I'm not, all 300, just eight, just eight. To fulfill just eight is one in 10 to the 17th power. Guys, if you have 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars, that's enough silver dollars to fill the state of Texas two feet deep. The whole state. The likelihood that one person would fulfill just eight is the same likelihood that I take one person to Texas. I blindfold that person. I take one silver dollar, write an X on it, chuck it in the middle of the state of Texas, stir the whole state somehow, and say, blindfolded, you got one shot, and if you find it, you get it all. That's just eight. And Jesus fulfilled all 300. So when people say, there's no evidence for this, I gotta be honest. And honestly, if you're sitting there saying, there's no evidence for this, you haven't looked. Because even, think about it if it, if, if it, if it all was true, like you actually said, even if it was proved to be true, and you still say, I wouldn't believe, it's not a truth thing for you, it's a submission thing for you. I don't want to do what God says. That's what it is for you. There's enough evidence to point to this, to the reality, to the reliability of this. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, it's in the Bible that we learn that God is infinite in being and perfection. We learn that God is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, that he's almighty, he's most absolute, that God is working all things to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. It's in the Bible that we learn that he is most loving, most gracious, most merciful, long-suffering. He's abundant in goodness and truth. He is just. He is quick to forgive. He punishes sin. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, most holy, most wise, and most free. It's in the pages of the Bible that we're introduced to who God is rather than us trying to make who who we want him to be. It's the pages of the Bible that God reveals these things to us. It's in the pages of the Bible that we learn that in the beginning, God already was. Before time, matter, and space began, God was already there, that God spoke it into existence. That God creates. We see in the pages of scripture that when God created, he created the opposites that come together. They complement one another. Truth. Sun, moon, light, darkness, male, female, different, complementing one another. God set in motion things of order and purpose. It's in the page of the scriptures that I'm reminded, as I already brought up this morning, that I am to treat all people 
No matter what ethnicity, no matter what age or stage in life, I am to treat all people honorably, with love and honor and respect, because every human being in the womb, outside of the womb, is created in the very image of God. It's in the Bible that I learn what sin is. Like I look in the pages and go, okay, if I just take my life and look at the 10 commandments, I've broken at least one of them many times. And what's the Bible then say? If you've broken one, you're guilty of all. You're a lawbreaker. The purpose of the Old Testament is not just to make me feel like, oh, I can't do it and I'm gonna keep trying as hard as I can. No, the purpose of the law, the purpose of the Old Testament, the first five books is to reveal over and over, you can't do it. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It's in the pages of the Bible. But why would he put that in there? So they would all learn to fall upon his grace and his mercy and receive salvation that only comes through Jesus. It's the Bible that says, hey, you're saved by grace through faith, not by works. Why? So no one can boast, but you're also his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for you to do. It's in the Bible that I learned that my life can be so about Jesus that I can stand and go, hey, I, my whole desire is to live for Christ. To die is gain. I'm, I'm, I learned from the Bible. The Bible invites me. Hey, you can know Christ, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead, but also knowing I haven't made it yet. I'm not perfect yet, but I press on. I'm invited because the Bible tells me this. The Bible tells me that God is loving. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's the Bible that says that even though I've screwed up, I can come before God and that when I surrender my life to Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me. My identity has changed from sinner to saint. The Bible tells me that yes, I will continue to struggle with sin. But the Bible says that I can repent, I can turn from sin, turn to Christ, I can confess my weaknesses, I can confess my sins, and know that I'm received and accepted by a father who cannot get enough of me. It's the Bible that says that God came in the flesh because we couldn't get to him. It's the Bible that says that Jesus took the cross on our behalf because of us, not just for us. That he took on the full and complete wrath of God that we deserve because we sinned and rebelled against God. He took it, died, came back from the dead three days later. Why? To bring us into righteous relationship with the creator. It's the Bible that says all of this stuff. It's the Bible that says that when Jesus died and resurrected, he hung out with his disciples for some days, then he ascended, but before he left, he says, and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Go make disciples. It's the Bible that says he's coming back. One day he's coming back, and until that day, we have a mission. We have a message. The same way that God has changed our lives, what the message of the gospel is the same message that we're supposed to take to a broken, hurting, confused, angry, rebellious world so that they can be reconciled to God. It's the Bible that says this. Do you see why we need to be people of the book? Because we cannot come up with true and right doctrine which will then impact how we live without God revealing it to us through the pages of his book 
so that you are not relying upon some charismatic personality, but you rely upon foundational truth that the world so desperately, desperately needs. Our mission is to be agents of grace that people would come to know Jesus. So I don't, we don't, we see to it, we are careful not to what? Not to be taken captive by philosophies and empty deceits, but we hold true to the teachings of this book. But friends, don't eat once in the week on a Sunday because somebody's preaching. And I don't want to hear another Christian go, my pastor's not feeding me. Feed yourself. What I do is supplemental to your meals. It's you. You need to be in the book. Brian, I don't know how to do it. On the connect card, I will do this for you. You say, I've never really had anyone show me how to do this. I will make you a video. I will send you a video if you're like, I don't want to see your face. I will block that part out. And I'll make you a video. This is how you spend time with God. Because we are all called to spend time with him, love God, love people, and then boom, make disciples. It is not just to wait for heaven. It's to bring salvation to people who so desperately need him. As the worship team comes back up, will we be people about the book because we love Jesus? Will we be people about God? Or does he just fit in? He just fits into some aspects of our life, but not too much. Don't make, don't make this too busy. Think about it. This is all I want us to do. Students, I want us hanging on Sunday nights. Outside of that, worship service, a home church, and a D group. That's it. I don't do a ton of events that just make you horribly busy. I want to do the things, though, that I know are connected to what? How they did them in the book. Book of Acts. I want us to look so much like the book of Acts, we look weird. That we'd have the audacity to make Jesus our life. Everything about him. I'm serious, friends. If you've never had anyone show you how to, how to spend time with God in the Bible, don't, don't be embarrassed about it. No one ever showed me until I went to a camp as a counselor. I was 19 the first time anybody showed me. This is how you do it. Oh, okay, that helped. And then I did it for the next 20 years that way. And it helped. I would love to show you, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is a method, not the method, a method to help you, what, spend time with God, to spend time with him. I promise you, you will never be the same. Can I pray for us? Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your word. Thank you that you gave us. You gave us this, that we might know you, that we might know our plight. We might know you, the remedy. We thank you, God, that you gave it, that it's not something that's, hey, this whole truth journey is just, well, it's whatever Brian says. I thank you that it's based on something outside of me. God, may we be a community that is biblical because we desire to honor you and to praise you to worship you and to serve you. God, forgive us your church. At least here in the, in the West, forgive us. God, wake us up, revive us. May we just go out to people to love them and to share the gospel. I just think it comes back to that. 
So God, in this last song, as we sing to you, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.